when you didn't text me back immediately or answer my phone call, <laughs> I went into this like four second emotional fucking spiral. I'm like, oh my God, she got into a car accident, <sighs> dropping the kids off at school and she's in the hospital. She's dad and nobody's told me what was going And then I was like, <laughs> relax. Sorry. I was. No, don't be. I got wrapped up in. um No, because that's my immediate response, too. So I'm like, I would I would want to know. I did wake up to this. I want to I just want to read this. So like this is how I feel like we're dedicated to what we do. I want to read. I I woke up at 430 this morning to this text from Gabe last night. I am so excited to record tomorrow. I have two videos I've taken of funny things I need to send to you when we record. And I'm wondering if you're going to send me the same things because we are fucking emotional twins. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what's funny? I have two Hmm. things recorded that I thought were very funny. I actually have three, but the third one I was just like, "Eh." it's not one of the two. I have two that I think are the things. Okay. I mean, I can't I can't imagine they wouldn't match up, but we'll see. I'm going to send we'll you We'll see if our friendship is over or not. <laughs> Wait, don't send I'm going to send end. you. Are you going to send okay. okay, or do you want to send it to me right now or should we do it? Why don't we do it when it comes up? Because for the scenes, I always write I took a video. Okay. Oh, I wonder. I know it. I know at least one, I know for sure. It has to be. Yeah. One is Stabler and one is and one is Benson. Oh. See, one for me is Stabler and one is um not either of them. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially Heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode twenty-four. Perfect. We're this is this is the, this second, the second to, to last, last episode. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Thanks to Claire, I won't say her last name, for driving all the way from Minnesota to get a tattoo by me. Yeah, I wanted to stop in. I know. I I wanted to hang out with her afterwards, but I just fucking did not have time. Yeah. It sucked. She was really cool, super nice and funny, and I was like, we would totally hang out with her if she lived here. Oh. I know. She was great. Come back and get another one. Come back, Claire, and I'll give you a tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, what did she get? Oh, she got this skull with a candle burning over it. Oh, cute. Okay, it's opening scene. A squad car pulls up with the lights on. Officers get out and they're going over and they talk to this shop owner outside of his store. He's out of breath and like nearly crying. To a degree. At first, he, the fucking cop comes up to this guy and he's like, what happened? And the guy's like, he robbed me. And the cop's like, okay, okay, fucking calm down. And I'm like, the guy wasn't even freaking out. He wasn't? No, he, I mean, he kind of got a little teary, but he wasn't like, ha, ha. I thought he was like, I've been shot. He went over there or, or he said he'd been shot. Did he? That's. I think he said, I, I heard thought, a shot. Oh, I heard a shot. Yeah, I heard a shot. He went over there. But two other cops have already ran after the dude and caught up with him. Mm-hmm. Shots are heard. The officers that were talking to that guy run over and where the other cops are and they have the suspect in handcuffs and stuff. They're all walking back to the squad cars when one officer finds a girl slumped on the side of the brick wall. She's been shot in the head. She's covered in a blanket and has like red ribbons in her hair and she looks really young. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler are now at the crime scene. Stabler is confused as to why they've been called to assist with an officer-involved shooting. They thought that it was the officers that did it. They see Lieutenant Tucker, aka Fucker, from IAB. (laughs) Tucker shows them the victim. You fucking got him! Got a bitch. Eat this dick. Lieutenant fucker, you sexy old man. You're going to be Lieutenant fucking Benson in a couple seasons. 
uh, Tucker shows him the victim. It's a black female in her teens, possibly a runaway sleeping on the streets. Fucker thinks she was probably trafficked and abused because she had a bunch of burn marks on her arms. Mm-hmm. And then they show him. And you're like, oh, no. But also because of the nice blanket and the bows in her hair and everything. Mm-hmm. He's like, this isn't your average child experiencing homelessness. Yeah. There's something else to this person's story. Benson and Stabler are like, fuck this. This isn't us. Mm-hmm. You want to give it to SVU so it doesn't look like an officer involved shooting. Like you want to cover your ass. Yeah. And Tucker's like, no, that's it's not that. <laughs> SVU is like really good at dealing with parents and all that. Benny and Stabler are like, nope. And start walking off. Tucker follows them and says that they want things to look clean from the start. And the girl was abused. Finally, Tucker's like, I need a favor. Mm. Benson and Stabler stop in their tracks, turn around pissed. And Benny's like, all the times you jammed us up for shit, now you want to play nice? You got a set of balls on you for asking for anything. A set of balls that I'm going to see someday, but right now I'm not aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Why don't but you pull Tucker's out those like, balls and show me what kind of balls you got? Let's weigh them. <laughs> Put them in my hands. Put them on my kitchen scale. <laughs> we'll get a bowl, then I'll tarot that out. And <laughs> put it on again and it'll get the correct... <laughs> <laughs> grams or ounces <laughs> are we role playing is it grams or ounces you tell me are we in britain what's going on Stabes has a locked jaw this entire fucking episode and he's like mm-hmm. if we find out a cop shot that girl you expect us to keep it quiet <sighs> yeah <sighs> tucker just that last line that he delivered in that scene he mm-hmm. just wanted to make sure that we don't forget that these are television police mm-hmm. and i i have not seen this episode in 20 years and as soon as he started he goes you don't want to do it for me and i to myself in my kitchen went fine do it for her and he went fine do it for her <laughs> oh my god i do the same thing with <laughs> tv cops theme song we're at the crime scene the next day cypher from ballistics and svu investigate the scene so cypher found seven slugs but they're too damaged for microscopic work shell casings were found and were matched to the weapon the bullet that hit the victim passed through a steel drum before reaching her so cypher has different marks set up where the cops and the perp were standing Mm -hmm. and she has this like laser that's going through the bullet hole and it looks like it was the perp that shot her and they're like, whew. Cool. So the whole first part of this episode was yeah. not necessary. It means nothing. And we don't need to yeah. see Tucker again. We never see him again. There was point, no point to this. I don't know what that was. Or They just a- really wanted to be like balls. They need, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they just needed this. Like we need a fresh setup. Now we're at the Emmy's office. Corner Warner says that the victim was already dead for like four or five hours when she was shot. And I'm like, bye, Tucker. Never mind. Bye. Yeah. The girl's body was still warm on the scene, but it was beginning to rig by the time she got to the ME office, which didn't track for me. I know. Still warm after four hours in the cold. Like, they're all wearing coats outside. You know what I mean? I don't know. Corner Warner also said the victim looked to have not have been bathed in weeks. She gives Benny the girl's personal effects, some discount clothes, and a necklace, and an infinity symbol on a chain. Mm -hmm. I was like... No. Side note, if you're looking to get a tattoo from Gabe, make no. sure it's an infinity symbol on your inner <laughs> wrist or behind your ear. Thank you. Oh, I'll kill you. <laughs> so what the detectives originally thought were burns on this girl are actually cockroach bites. And they happened when she was alive. Mm. 
in my notes, I wrote Stabe's face. Ha <laughs> I don't know what is, I don't know what I meant by that, but I think he probably he was, was like d- he was behind there doing this like. <laughs> Yeah, you're right about the tight jaw thing. Corner Warner tells them that the bites wouldn't swell if it had happened after she died. And cockroaches don't bite unless someone isn't moving. So she was either restrained when she was bit or she was so sick she couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Ugh. In the precinct, the squad's going over everything, okay? This girl was held captive somewhere really icky and then dumped at the scene. The blanket and hair ribbons could be a sign that whoever left her there cared for her in some way or another. Mm. Munch gets off the phone and has a positive ID for the Vic. Samantha Tassler. She disappeared from Pennsylvania around eight months ago. They all remember her and working on her disappearance. Like, I didn't go off on this really, but they were like, Samantha Tassler. And somebody goes, oh my God, from Philly. And then Toots is like, um, actually from 4th Street and 26th. Uh, they deal with insane cases every single day. And they're like, I know. here's a girl from Dude, months ago that we fucking remember. Yeah. Oh my God. When they find Jessica and they're like, that girl looks kind of familiar. And they're like 50 feet away. And they're like, that's the girl that went missing in <laughs> Michigan. What? Meanwhile, there's do you guys like sit in a, do you guys like sit in a bath in, a, in the bathtub at night and, like go over all the cop things that are happening in the world they're like that guy from cool runnings that's just like watching track video over and over i don't remember you don't, what's his name no. everybody else like goes out and he's it's it's like the leader guy the one who was like oh we gotta be like the swiss i'm spy he's the movie along that was a good movie john candy man uh. It's just a photo match at this point, so I'm not sure if they're about to re-traumatize her parents who are coming in by letting them know their daughter is dead or telling them that she's dead and it's not her. I guess we're going to see. It can go either way with these guys. Like, holy shit, your daughter's dead. And she was also not a college student, but a sex worker. They're like, what? Right. Yeah. She had whole foods in her stomach, so she wasn't a sex worker. And you're like, what? (laughs) to quinoa or something so she doesn't do blowjobs for a couple bucks what you know it's they've seen it all now samantha's parents are in the precinct they're holding hands and they're being like super supportive of each other physically leaning on one another i can't imagine they're talking to benny and staves in this interview room okay so dad has been in a bunch of stuff including the show power it's that show that 50 cent produced or whatever Hmm, i don't know but it was huge i've been meaning to watch it he was on house of cards law and order regular and a ton of other recognizable stuff mom is also crushing it with roles in only murders in the building manifest the blacklist damages 30 rock the blind side black snake moan the butler ton 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 and this is yeah she's really familiar Yes, this is the second of four SVU appearances for her. Hmm. Dad tells the detectives that Samantha was supposed to be given a ride home from a friend's older brother one night and she never got home. And I'm like, where's the older brother? I got real Gabe this episode. I was making (laughs) awful predictions. (laughs) I love how like I was I was just listening to the last episode that came out whenever mm-hmm. and you were like you're so good at this <laughs> on the last and then, and then now you're like I'm totally gaming making terrible <laughs> <laughs> Staves gives them the bag of Samantha's things and they don't recognize any of it. Here I go. OMG, is it not Samantha? Did they prep them with a maybe this is your daughter at least? Oh God. They don't even recognize the necklace with the infinity, the he who shall not be named sign. <laughs> Yeah. Now we're in the crime scene lab. Munch and Toot speak with the lab tech about the necklace. So this necklace is solid platinum. The lab guy is surprised Samantha had it while living on the streets and didn't sell it for food or something. It's handmade. 
And there's some kind of coating on it called rhodium or something that makes it shiny as hell. And it's like not been popular in this country for decades. Also, it has initials on it that link it to a jewelry shop in the village owned by Ross St. Clair. And I was hoping we were going to see a... John DeMunch. John DeMunch, but... Well, and this necklace, based on these stats he's giving, this necklace is worth almost $1,000, he tells them. And they're Mm -hmm. like, Jesus. And also, I'm like, what a basic ass necklace to get handmade. Yeah, maybe that was like a really big deal back then. I I mean, there's a reason why it's so popular. It had to start somewhere. I think I actually wrote about this. I'm like, did SVU start the infinity trend? Because if it did, we're done with this podcast. We're done. (laughs) Okay, they go over to Ross St. Clair, this jewelry maker, right? They're outside talking to this guy. This is actor Brian Reddy. This guy, again, is in a ton of stuff. And my favorite is a short that I had to take a break and watch. It's called Farm Sluts, okay? Oh, I <laughs> yes. I watched it on YouTube. It's 17 minutes and hilarious. I don't love that Farm Sluts is in my search history now, but it's worth it. It is the first oh, thing that came up It's in mine now too. Because I was like, oh my God, what's going to come up when I put Farm Sluts in there? Chris Parnell is the lead. He gets fired from his office job for accidentally opening animal porn and has to move back in with his parents and they keep catching him trying to kill himself. But every time he does, he fucks it up. And when they catch him, it looks like he's Wait, doing Chris some- Parnell? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. When they walk in, it looks like he's just doing some kink shit instead. <laughs> it's a great, it's great. Um, uh, but yeah, he's in it. He plays his dad and he does a really good, like, disappointed in you, dad face. <laughs> This guy is Ross St. Clair. He doesn't recognize Samantha from the photo that they show him, but he does recognize the necklace. He's like, I don't get a lot of teenagers in my store. My jewelry is too expensive. Mm. He asks if something happened to the girl that was wearing the necklace. And Benson goes, actually, she's dead. And this guy literally goes, geez, (laughs) that's. That's I took took a video of. That was one of my things. I laughed so hard. Geez, (laughs) geez. So this necklace, he says, was made for Garrett Lang. He's a regular customer. It was 800 bucks. Ross said that Garrett came in and paid for 100 of these necklaces be made, and he paid up front. Mm -hmm. That's a shit ton of money. Yep. Dude also left him a stack of business cards to hand out to his better paying customers. In the Lang Foy Clinic, Ashton Kutcher slash (gasps) Topher Grace mashup. Oh my God. What? Dr. Lang. People probably know him as Brian Kinney on the series Queer as Folk, but not me. He's nerdy Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> I wrote Ashton Kutcher slash Topher Grace mashup. Mm-hmm. Look at their faces side by side in the in the cast of the semi show and you're like, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. AKA his name is Lang. Yeah. He tells Benson Sabler that he gives the necklace to all of his patients. I'm sorry, $800 necklace to all of your patients? That's fucking insane. Right. They're like, what do you do? <laughs> Who are you? What do you do that you can do this? Lang then asks Stabler how old he is. He's like, early 40s, right? And Stabler's like, actually, late 30s. Why? And then I'm like, oh my God, what? Late 30s? Stabler's always like 45 to me Mm -hmm. or 50. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have done nothing with my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay. We're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, geez. Geez. (laughs) Lang starts talking about stamina with aging, etc. Lang treats his patient with HGH, which is human growth hormone, Mm -hmm. and testosterone. Lang doesn't treat kids, nor does he recognize Samantha. Benson asks about Dr. Foy, and if he treats kids, he laughs. He's like, 
There is no foy. Foy means fountain of youth. Duh. I hate this fucking piece of shit. They tell him that Samantha was found dead and she was wearing the necklace. Also, in this fucking place, there's this like ginormous infinity sign hanging from the ceiling. Oh, I hate yeah. it. They want a list of all the patients, but he's obviously not going to give them to him. Yeah, so he's like, okay, well, I don't treat kids, and this is a kid that you found. So maybe somebody that I did treat gave it to her, but I'm not going to give you any information on them. Right. Pupe. In the precinct, they're reviewing all the information they've got on Lang. He was a high-achieving academic, Stanford, Yale, fellowships, etc., and had a high-achieving career before he opened up the clinic. He's got big old creds. He believes Mm -hmm. that hormones can reverse the aging process. Okay, this is where I gaped out. I'm like, OMG, he's harvesting stem cells. Wait, right? He's using women to grow fetuses to harvest the hormones. OMG, (laughs) I am dead on or way the fuck off. Is that even (laughs) how it works? Anyway, Toots hates the fringe edges of medicine, whereas Munch is kind of into it. And he's like, I would take some shit to add lean muscle to what you lovingly call my bony ass. (laughs) Like, you've been carrying that around for a while, haven't you, Munch? Because (laughs) Toots said that a while ago. He's like, I'm going to. Right. I've got this holster and I am coming with it. Three years and now is the time. And Toots is just like, doctors are just dealers with licenses, Mm -hmm. which is kind of true. But also, like, you're really teetering on the edge of like anti with all that shit so not here for that right. Toots, relax we get it you were in narcotics this is i feel like pro- in, in two was this 2003 or something mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it's a pretty hot topic because i think this is around the time that like bush made cloning and stem cell stuff illegal remember do you kind of remember that yeah yeah because the dolly stuff the with the sheep and everything that was in the 90s like late 90s mm, i think so i i say i i looked into dolly stuff like later when she said that dolly lived six years so i think i don't i don't remember what year she was cloned i mean i remember when it happened when i was a kid but yeah so Craigan breaks it up and says that Munch can go hit the gym after work. Fucking focus. You never know what he's going to let you talk about and what he's going to be like, knock it off. <laughs> yeah. At this point, nothing links Lang to Samantha's death. Craigan wants Benny and Stabes to go wait out the ME to get the GD autopsy report. Yeah. When he says it's it was backlogged, I was thinking like weeks, not like three hours. I know. Or maybe they were just, you know, they're like, well, this will we'll get to this. And Craigan's like, make them get to it. Mm, yeah. Can't you do that for other things? In Corner Warner's office, facial tissue traces and dried saliva were found on Samantha's cheek and are being tested. The cause of death was determined to be a blood clot in her lung from severe dehydration because she had had no fluids between five and ten days. I thought it was only three days that you could survive without liquid. Um, I didn't know at all. I thought it was three days. I thought. I think I also thought it was three days, but I mean, maybe that's when you can like turn a corner? I don't know. Corner Warner examined Samantha's reproductive system and found 12 eggs had been released at the same time, which would only happen with IVF. She was also carrying an eight-week-old fetus. OMG, she's 14. I know. What the fuck? Am I right? Am I right, though? No, that was what I said. Holy shit. Am I right? Is what I wrote in my notes. Because I'm like, oh, my God, is this guy harvesting stem cell? Is this what he's doing? (laughs) I thought that I fucking (laughs) nailed it. (laughs) I didn't. 
Back at the precinct, Benson and Stabler are walking and talking with Cabot. Benny and Stapes think Lang had something to do with Samantha's death based on the pregnancy and number of eggs released. He's a fucking infertility specialist for cry eye. Like, that's the got shit right. to do. One has something to do with the other. Right. Cabot needs a direct link from Lang to Samantha or she can't get shit from a judge to subpoena his records. Ugh. They don't even have proof that Samantha even knew Lang at all. Mm-hmm. They have nothing. Yeah, but that's why I'm like, he's an infertility specialist. I know. But and she's got fucking like... like 90 eggs. She's got yeah. fucking caviar floating There's a lot her. of like... Spread it all over a Bellini. <laughs> there was no- there's a lot of... There's a ton of coincidences in this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, they, and, and all of the detectives seem to recognize it. Usually they're like, come on, isn't this enough, Cabot? But all of them are kind of like, yeah, this doesn't really get us anywhere yet. This doesn't really get us any... They say that a bunch throughout yeah. this whole episode. Yeah. Cabot tells them that a judge won't let them get the patient list, but they can get IRS records, phone lists, and financial records. In the precinct, the squad's reviewing Lang's records. Lang doesn't have any phones in his name, which is really weird. He has a lot of money, and he owns a lot of real estate. One property is being filed as a charity, Foundation for Knowledge Expansion. It's a nonprofit knowledge enrichment program for young women at risk. I'm like, okay. Ooh, they should go there. Yeah. (laughs) Benson says, I wonder if he's enriching these girls like he did Samantha. And I was like, ooh, Ooh. good one, Benson. Got him. (laughs) She looked around. She's Um, like, right? And they're like, yeah. (laughs) She's like, do that thing with her tongue. Like, (laughs) Right, you guys? <laughs> so now we're at the Foundation for Knowledge Expansion. Benson and Stabler are doing a stakeout at the entrance to the building. There's a bunch. I thought you said what? St- Benson and Stabler are doing a stank out at the building. <laughs> There's a bunch of fucking girls that are going in there. It's a big old brownstone. Benson says they don't look like typical at-risk teens, but like whatever, you don't have to. You can be at risk and whatever. But yeah, I know what she's saying. Right, right, yeah. They don't Benson all look recogni- like fucking Stephanie Tanner's friend Gigi. Remember? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and and they're all like well dressed and they look taken care of. They have like uniforms on or something. Mm-hmm. Benson reco- from fifty feet away, Benson recognizes <laughs> one girl named Jessica Morris. She's like, Oh my god, is that that girl that went missing around the same time as Samantha did? They're like, What the fuck is going on? And hop out of the car to knock on the door. And I was like, There's no fucking way. Because mm-hmm. Benson was like, If she dyed her hair brown, it'd be an actual match. I'm like, You don't recognize this person. She's like, if like, she was a little no bit way. younger, she dyed her hair brown. <laughs> she listed off a bunch of shit. <laughs> this older woman answers the door. This is actor Barbara Barry. She has 120 acting credits, so you've definitely seen her in something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing that stood out, she had a huge role in Suddenly Susan. She played Nana. And I was like, oh, I used to love that show. Then I was like, I probably didn't. I just watched any sitcom that was on in the 90s. Yeah. The lady is super confused because she didn't call the police and doesn't know why they're there. Mm-hmm. Benson Saylor just bust in. And they're like, we're looking for Jessica Morris. She's like, I don't know who that is. Benson and Stabler walk into a room and see a bunch of girls at desks. They don't even look at them or anything. <gasps> it was like, so Like nothing weird. is going on. Yeah. Yeah. They're like acting like nothing is going on and then acting like the lady isn't yelling. Mm-hmm. It was super creepy. This woman says that the building is her school and she is a licensed teacher. This woman is Paula Haggerty. She finds the girls on the street and brings them there to like give them food and teach them and blah, blah, blah. Benson places Paula under arrest and finds an infinity symbol tattooed, aka crudely drawn on with a fucking Sharpie, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. On her wrist. We just believe in the infinity infinite potential of these girls yeah she also has it as a tramp stamp (laughs) yeah As they're leaving, Stabler stops the girl they recognize from the missing posters. He tells her he knows she's Jessica. She's like, my name is Marjorie. And she's like really creepy about it. Mm-hmm. In the precinct, Paula and her lawyer are in an interview room with Benson, Stabler, and Craigan. Lawyer Quentin, this woman. She's a babe, by oh the way. Oh my God. 
very gorge. I tried not to focus on mm-hmm. it too hard, but she is undeniably just gorge. Yeah. She was in Mulholland Drive, which is a good movie. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, just like so pretty. Like really pretty. Like super pretty. She's so like you, so pretty. So you admit it. You think you're really pretty. <laughs> Paula had five 14-year-old girls at the foundation that had been reported missing or kidnapped. She said they ran away from home because their parents had treated them like shit. And I'm like, okay. Mm. Paula has a degree in child psychology, and that's how she knew the kids were mistreated. Craig is like, uh, well, you should fucking know that just because a teenager doesn't agree with their parents doesn't mean that they're being abused. And they could have been being abused, too, mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah. The lawyer says Paula's salary for the foundation is paid by the board of directors slash charitable contributions, but Lang isn't on the board. He owns the building and provided the initial endowment, but is not involved with the employees or clients. They show her a picture of Samantha, and she doesn't recognize her. And then Benson's like, fuck that, you're going to be charged with kidnapping, you old ass bitch. (laughs) In the other interview room, Stabler is with Jessica, aka Marjorie or whatever. Jessica's parents are on their way to get her, but she's pissed and is like, I told you, I'm not fucking Jessica, I'm Marjorie. Like, why take that name, by the way? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, somebody must have given her that name. But yeah, she demands that her name is Marjorie Maddox. And he shows her her own photo and is like, dude, we both know that this is you. Also, I can't believe Huang's not here for this. He shows up later. But in this moment, I'm like, where the fuck is Huang? This girl's obviously been like brainwashed a little bit, right? Right. I I was wondering why Stabler was the one that was talking to Jessica the most. Mm -hmm. I was like, what are you? Well, he is a dad. So Stabler tells her how much her family misses her. And she starts crying a little bit. We think it's about her family, but she's actually upset because she thinks Paula's <laughs> going to be worried about her and she belongs with Paula. And Staves is like, dude, you're 14. And I'm like, pause. I don't believe you. I'm going to IMDb. This actor is Kimberly Brown. She was born November 16th, 1984. This episode was released May 9th, 2003. She's 18 and looks every fucking day of it. Cracked it. I cracked the case. <laughs> I've seen her in other stuff. Yeah, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Just like the dramatics with, you're 14. I'm like, yeah, no. Uh, this this woman can vote, <laughs> okay? <Yeah. laughs> she says that she wasn't kidnapped and that she ran away because her parents didn't understand her. But Paula does. Oh my God, that's so teenager. You don't get me. Yeah, they don't understand <laughs> me. Paula gets me. Paula, this 90-year-old grandma, <laughs> she understands me. I know. <laughs> yeah, so this is me still in my fucking head thinking I know what's going on. But I said, is she brainwashed? Are they running a stem cell cult? Have I gone off the rails? <laughs> yes. This chick is acting like fucking Paul is the Grateful Dead. Like she's following her. <laughs> like, you you know this is like just like a 90-year-old woman, right? She's not doing 20-minute long sick riffs or whatever the fuck. Stabler shows Jessica a photo of Samantha and she says that she has no idea who she is. Mm-hmm. I think they're all lying. I think they do know her. Mm-hmm. She also says Paula saved her life by taking her off the streets and teaches her stuff. And Stabler's like, what the fuck <laughs> does she teach? Stuff they should learn in school. And I was like, okay, I can't wait to find out what the fuck that is. <laughs> okay. She's like, she teaches us to be good people. And it's like, that is the most general shit I've ever fucking heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on the other side of the glass in the Paris catacombs, Craig is a ghost and has been trapped there for <laughs> 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> 
Craig and Huang Cabot and Benson talk about all of the shit. The other girls found at the foundation were from Denver, Chicago, Omaha, and Detroit. All high-profile missing persons cases because they're all from rich families, of course. I mean, that's why they're high-profile. Mm-hmm. All the girls had similar backgrounds to Jessica. They all ran away. They weren't kidnapped, and they want to go back to Paula. Cabot asks if it's Stockholm Syndrome, but Huang says it's worse, that they've probably all been brainwashed. They're all totally devoted to Paula, and then Benson calls it a cult because all the girls have mm-hmm. this infinity symbol necklace, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh my god, brainwashed a cult? I've almost got a bingo here. I was so invested in being you right were. when I was very wrong. This is so weird because this one I didn't care. I was like, it's Langton, obviously. We just have to get to it, you know? I had just that brief moment of, oh my god, is this like a stem cell cult? And then I couldn't let it go because I was like... Yeah, you were just trying to figure out... Yeah. Like, you knew it was Lang too. You just wanted to know what they were, the fuck they were doing. Yeah. yeah. I knew it was some crazy... Well, because it's in this kind of episode, you just find out the crazy details. It's like, we're, we, we, you're the first guy we meet, but we know it's fucking you. Mm-hmm. And there's some weird, wacky stuff all behind it. Yeah. Paula could be charged with custodial interference for not returning the kids to their parents. And that's a misdemeanor that she can't be held on. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? That's a misdemeanor that you can't even like hold somebody for, for not returning missing children? Mm-hmm. That's fucking bananas. Huang says if it's a cult, Samantha could have been punished by being locked away. A lot of cults, quote, re-educate their members by locking them away without food or water. And then Benson's like, oh my God, you guys, that's how Coroner Warner said Samantha died. This is depraved indifference murder. Cragen says that there has to be more than five girls. Remember that guy that he had like a hundred necklaces? they had made mm-hmm. they got to find out if they're hiding any more girls anywhere else we got to get back to that fucking foundation brownstone at the foundation brownstone benny staves and the officers raid the place they're looking for more evidence and more girls mm-hmm. the place had been completely cleared out no furniture or decor everything moved out in just a matter of hours benny tells csu mm-hmm. to get all the dirt off the floor every reasonable surface she says gets dusted for prints i would say every surface is reasonable because if you don't know mm-hmm. there's a trampoline in the room you won't dust the ceiling for prints you know what i mean so like right. you got yeah. every surface she's like bring in the trap <laughs> Oline. benny goes this place has been sanitized and stabler mm-hmm. stares off in cowboy and goes like no one was ever here. And I took a video of that. That's what I took a video of. Because <laughs> he sounded like he was from L.A. He was like, like no one was ever here. He had like a total vocal fry. Dude. <laughs> he, his mouth is no. open for so long. <laughs> we literally started at the same time. Hold on. The second floor is empty. <laughs> <laughs> like no one was ever here. That's my that was my fir- my first video. Right, that and I that love you that we did that. Confirms that confirms our friendship for the for the millionth time. <laughs> now we're at the precinct. Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk with Craig and neighbors saw three trucks empty the place in a few hours. Someone was fucking tipped off. But in the precinct, they never let any of the girls that were in the cult near a phone. Mm-hmm. So maybe Paula or her lawyer tipped someone off. Craigan says that the other girls got taken to a shelter and are waiting for their parents to come pick them up. But Jessica's still here because her parents just got to the precinct. It pans over and you see Jessica and her parents hug her and she does not look happy. Yeah. It's creepy cult shit. So Craigan wants Wong along for the ride. And I was like, yay, I love Wong. In the office of Joan Quinton, attorney at law. (laughs) Um... Benson Stabler, and, <laughs> Benson Stabler and Huang walk into an office where Paula and Lang meet with a lawyer. Anyway, this lawyer looks up at him and she's like, beep, boop, beep, you can't come barging in. I'm with clients. She, 
It's like they can't get somebody to look up from a desk in the beginning of a scene and just like sound like a human. I feel like this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. But Lang like puts his hand up and he's like, I'll handle this, Joan. (laughs) To his lawyer. Joan. Paula says she doesn't know shit about the brownstone being cleared out. And then lawyer Joan says the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then Benson's like, why the fuck do you guys have the same fucking lawyer? Lang says he called lawyer Joan to help Paula because she does so much for the runaways. Okay. He's helping. Benson asks him why the fuck Samantha had in vitro treatments, which Lang conveniently happens to perform. And then Wong, there's like he's standing behind Benson and he's like hard side eyeing Lang the whole time. Because mm-hmm. he goes, Well, anybody could have performed those. Like any Any OBGYN. And you're like, come on. This reminds me of the episode, the one that we just had, the Ben Savage one, where it was like The Fred Savage. Or Fred Savage, where it was like, this isn't a coincidence, but you can't prove it. Right. I didn't have anything to do with it. Even though Samantha and all the girls had his infinity sign necklaces, and even Paula has a fucking tattoo of it. Bullshit. Lang gets all sassy and asks Wong, does the FBI have anything to say? And then Wong says, you enjoy this, don't you, Mr. Lang? And he's like, I enjoy helping these girls, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Joan, the lawyer, tells him if they aren't arresting anyone, they get the fuck out of her office. And then Lang, like, smugly smiles at Wong. Oh, I hate him. Wong, Benny, and Staves get out of there. They're doing a walk and talk on the sidewalk. Kwong is a little worked up, dude. He's, like, kind of pissed. He officially diagnoses him and says, he's a narcissistic <laughs> bastard. <laughs> yeah. He's calling all the shots. Even his ding-dang lawyer deferred to him. Can you believe it, you guys? Benson totally gets how a 14-year-old girl could be tricked by Lang, but his lawyer, or Paula, two smart, educated women. Wong brings up Jim Jones and how he got hundreds of his followers to drink poison Kool-Aid just because he was a charismatic dude. Mm-hmm. And then Stabler... God. Yeah, I, I wrote this out word for word. Yeah, Stabler says, well, these girls couldn't have been more vulnerable. They're not attractive. And I was like, blink, blink. <laughs> Probably got bad grades in school, etc. Weren't popular. I was like... Social outcast. Wow. <laughs> Let's leave the speculation to Dr. Huang Stabler. He's like, yeah. well, they're kind of uggos, so it's probably why it worked on them, you know? <laughs> they're 14... They're 14-year-old, 18-year-olds. You have daughters. <laughs> I wonder if that actress knew that that was going to be part of the line and was like, hey... I thought of that. <laughs> really? The next time she was in a scene, I'm like, oh my god, what if she had a watch party and she's like watching this with her friends? She's 18. This is a big role. You're on SVU. And the main guy is like, she's fat and gross or something. Or like, she's ugly. <laughs> anyway, back to the not cute Vic. What a face on that cow, huh? <laughs> Nobody's ever going to love her. <laughs> her face didn't tell me much. I had to turn the lights off because she was so ugly. She's so ugly she deserved it. <laughs> okay. I can't believe we even noticed that she was missing. Who cares, right? Okay, so Huang says that the cult uses love bombing to get the girls to believe and then stay. They need to find out how the girls were targeted and taken to Paula. Love bombing? What's that about? I've never heard of it. <laughs> I didn't even go into the explanation of it. I, I was know. Like, we all know. I know. We all, like, all of us are familiar. We've all dated that guy. God, a, lo- a good love bomb feels so good. Though. So good. Now Benny and Staves are talking to Samantha's parents. Benson tells them that it's possible that Samantha was starved to death and left in the alley. Oh, my God. Oh, these poor parents. They're like, okay, first she said she was a runaway. Now you're saying she's like, ugh, Yeah, she was like, not only did you, are you finding out that she's dead, but she was probably murdered as well and starved. So she was tortured. Mm-hmm. Stabler asked about the time of her disappearance. Were there any new routines or friends or anything like that? Mom says that she only had a few friends and they were bad in influences they smoked and drank so samantha did too i'm like welcome to being 14 Mm -hmm. her grades dropped so mom and dad enrolled her in a tutoring program that aimed to help 
quote, kids realize their full potential. And then Benny mm. fucking sticks her finger in dad's mouth and she's like, shut up. What did you just say? <laughs> what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, kids realize their full potential. Is that a thing? And we're all like, <gasps> and Stabler's like, what's the name of that center? Fade to black. Boom. Hit it. They're at Knowledge Builders. Benny and Staves are walking and talking with Miss Kondersky. I'm assuming the director. They ask if she recognizes Jessica and she's like, Mm-mm, nope. Mm-mm. I know we hate her, but like I like loved her, the way she was like, I'm sorry. I don't like that fucking ass. You know what I mean? I just thought she was kind of a bad bitch. She had um, Joan Cusack energy. Mm-hmm. She just seemed really confident or I something. I liked her attitude. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we hate her. But we hate Yeah, we hate her. Even the actress, whoever she is. Yeah. So I hope she didn't get any more jobs after this. I hope she's dead, <laughs> to be honest. She probably is. <laughs> Benson and Stabler, they're walking and talking with Miss Kondersky, who I assume is the director. They ask her if she recognizes Jessica, and she's like, nope. But Jessica went to the tutoring center before she disappeared, so they're like, hmm. Stabes now shows Miss Kondersky Samantha's picture and tells her that she disappeared right outside of Philly <gasps> and also supposedly intended knowledge builders. And this woman mm. is like, I don't like your insinuation, detective. And Staves goes, I don't like a liar, Miss Kondersky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was funny. She turns into Ugh. Stephanie Tanner from Full House and says, how rude. And then she asks him to kindly fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. She has her hands up. She's like, excuse me. And Benny grabs this lady's arm and <laughs> clocks her infinity symbol tattoo on her wrist. And she's like, uh, yeah, duh. We believe in the infinite potential of our students. So much so that multiple people tattoo this bullshit symbol on our wrist. Mm-hmm. They ask about Lang and she starts to get kind of skittish, but says that he's just an investor who gives a shit about the kids. So back off. Mm-hmm. And Stabes is like, sure he is. And you're just a teacher, right? Gulp. <laughs> In the precinct. <laughs> a gulp. A gulp. <laughs> that was a, the best gulp I've ever heard. <laughs> In the precinct, the squad is going over everything. The knowledge builder, teacher, director, Kondersky got the same lawyer that Paula did. Okay. Lang's lawyer. Okay. Mm-hmm. All the missing girls that were found at the foundation had been enrolled in a knowledge builders tutoring program in their city. So they're everywhere. Yeah. So they got the cork board up, got the picture of Lang, mm-hmm. and they've got the three women now the lawyer, the director, and Paula, the Paula. like house mom, teacher lady. Mm-hmm. They're building this little pyramid. He's the one in control of all three of them. Paula keeps the girls in line. Kondersky gets the girls from the learning centers, and the lawyer keeps Lang out of trouble. Huang mm-hmm. says that he bets they give the girls personality tests right away to determine who's the most vulnerable. Kondersky's credit card statement shows that she had been in all of the cities the missing girls were from three days before all of them disappeared. Coincidence, again, they all realize. Yeah, yeah. there's too many coincidences, mm-hmm. and there, but there's no real proof for anything. Right. Yeah. All the other girls have been returned to their homes out of state at this point. So the only person that they have access to interview now is Jessica. At the Morse townhouse, Stabler's sitting outside with Jessica and he goes, has anyone ever told you you're not that pretty? <laughs> like the whole time he's talking to her too, he's like trying to be like super chill. Like you can talk to me about stuff. I'm just a cool guy. You know, don't be intimidated because I'm good looking. I know that's hard for you, Uggos. <laughs> Stabler asked Jessica about Paula. Jessica says she's the most wonderful person she's ever met. <laughs> 
just like, okay. And the other gals all accepted her just how she is. Every teenager fucking loves that shit. Jessica says that Lang is going to save the world. And Stabler's like, oh, like I said, he's trying to be cool. Oh, how's he going to do that? Oh, crazy. Tell me about that. And the music gets all swelly and Jessica explains Lang's plan. She says the ozone layer is disappearing. The ultraviolet rays will make everyone sterile. That the only way our species will survive is by cloning living cells. And then Stabler's like, um, are you pregnant? And <laughs> Jessica says she is and is like super pumped about it. Mm-hmm. She says Lang chose her to be the mother of the future and she's carrying a cloned baby to be a surrogate and help a couple whose baby died. She thinks she's bringing their baby back to life. This is fucking insane. Bananas. And Stabler's like, did Lang have sex with you? And she's totally grossed out by that idea. Mm-hmm. She's like, no, dude, I was impregnated via in vitro fertilization. Yeah. Stabler is doing a great job at being calm and says, hmm, where did he do this? You know, cut to doors bust open in the office of Lang. I took a video of this. Did you? Okay, I need you to hear it. So the sound they use when plowing through these double doors is ridiculous. It's the wrong sound. I didn't notice. It's like the same sound they use for a Bugs Bunny avalanche or for when somebody's chopping down a rickety old barn door to get away from zombies or something. It's like, hold on, let me pull it up for you. It's so bad. Is there sound sounds of like wood breaking on the ground and stuff? Hang on. Doors clattering. Stop it. It is not that <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like wood falling on the ground. Like it's like shattered wood, but it's two doors. Metal double doors. <laughs> like Wow. So weird. It was so, it's like. <laughs> no, wrong. Those buttons um, must be next to each other in the sound booth. Yeah. They find Lang in the middle of doing an IVF, I think it's called, on another teenage girl. Oh my God. They throw on fucking masks and walk in and Lang is pissed that they possibly contaminated his sterile field. It's also the (sighs) ultimate SVU moving boxes because he just slowly finishes the damn procedure while they're like, um, you're under arrest. And he's like, yep, yep, yep. Just a second. (laughs) Yeah. Lang's like, I'm going to fucking make medical history. Stabler tells him, not by making teenage girls guinea pigs. Fucking wake her up. You're under arrest. In the precinct interview room with Lang and lawyer Joan, Benson asks how many girls Lang has tucked away. His lawyer starts to jump in and he interrupts her again, just like he did last time. He says he doesn't have any other girls anywhere. And then he's like, all the girls consented. And I was like, do we need to go over how consent isn't possible with children again? Lang records show that this fuck promised people copies of their cloned babies they lost in exchange for donations to the foundation. Benson calls it fraud. Lang calls it hope. So cloning is illegal in the U.S. now, mm-hmm. and Lang argues that it won't be when people start dying off. Lang also believes in immortality. Stabler tells him that he's full of shit and this is all make-believe. Then Lang takes off his glasses and says, Stabler, that's Irish Catholic, right? You believe a virgin gave birth to a baby. Do you think that was super popular back in the day? And Stabler is pissed. And he's like, what I believe has nothing to do with your case. He's like, don't. Bring Jesus into this. Yeah. Lang keeps arguing that all heretics were burned at the stake for even suggesting the earth was round. He brings up Darwin and how he was fucking ostracized for his ideas about evolution. And then Benson's like, oh, so you're saying you're the new Darwin or Messiah, huh? And he's like, I wouldn't take it that far. But (laughs) lawyer Joan asks what Lang is being charged with. This is where I recorded. Okay. Oh. Benson goes, fraud and aggravated (laughs) sexual abuse. (laughs) I gotta send it to you. She says it real weird. And Lang is like, you don't seriously believe that those charges will stand up in court, do you? So behind the glass, Cabot and Cragen are haunting some Parisian tourists in the catacombs. Oh, is he still there? Yeah. So because there was two behind the glasses, I I wrote one just in case. But Okay, what is it? 
It's okay. We don't have to. They can be in Paris. They can be in Paris. Oh my God. In the catacombs. Tell me. <laughs> okay, fine. But just in case they're not there, Cabot and Cragen are in Cragen's Crab Oil Restaurant. <gasps> <laughs> I want to get boiled. Do you want to? I could get boiled. Today? I don't know. Ugh, I don't think I can today, actually. Cabot says Lang is correct. They can't charge him. It's not fraud because there's no intent. And it's not rape because there's no penetration. I can't believe that was a thing. I know. The girls are actually able to consent when it comes to reproductive rights. They're allowed to choose to be pregnant, however that happens. The only way they can charge him is if they can prove he was involved in Samantha's death. This is insane. Yeah. Benson's... <laughs> I mean, in my notes, I just wrote, wow. <laughs> yeah. Benson Stabler are in Emmy's office. Corner Warner is ruling Samantha's death a fucking homicide. The DNA came back from Samantha's cheek. It was Paula's and probably from doing like mothering shit, like wiping her cheek off, you know? Mm -hmm. Samantha's fetus has DNA from Samantha and a male. No cloned baby DNA since that is science fiction is what corner warner says mm -hmm. if it was cloned it would be the baby's dna not samantha's and a father's right and stabler pumps his fist yes like yeah. fucking kip from napoleon dynamite they think lang is using his sperm to impregnate these girls maybe samantha found out and that would be motive for him to kill her mm -hmm. cabot may be able to get a blood sample order for lang since she was able to get one for paula then they're gonna try and match the dna yeah oh look at me i'm here still trying to fucking make predictions i'm like dude they're gonna be lang's dna's for show <laughs> just so embarrassing <laughs> Okay, now Stabler's at Jessica's house talking to her. She tells him that her parents want her to give the baby up for adoption. And he was like, oh, yeah, they took you to get a test, right? A DNA test. She's like, yeah, they wanted to make sure the baby was okay. And Stabler's like, mm-mm, that's not why. They wanted to find out who the father is. And Jessica goes, ah, that's ridiculous. Dr. Lang told me that the baby doesn't have a father because the baby is a clone. And Stabler goes, mm, honey, She, no. like, completely trusts him. Yeah. yeah. So he goes, no, honey, he's lying. Lang is the father of the baby. He did the same thing to Samantha and she mm -hmm. does not believe it and spirals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, everything that she, she thought out. was true is yeah. a lie. And then she just starts bawling and tells Stabes what happened. Jessica yeah. says that it's her fault that Samantha's dead. Samantha <gasps> told Jessica that Lang was a fake and she was going to report him to the police. So Jessica told Paula. Paula mm -hmm. told Jessica that Samantha had to be reasoned with. Then one day, Paula took Samantha away in front of the girls and she never saw her again. This poor girl like thinks that A, this is happening. This is just crazy. But she thinks that she's like got a cloned baby to help a family that lost a child. And also you know? that it's her fault that her friend's dead. I know. This 18-year-old, 14-year-old should not have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. At the trial, Jessica's on the stand and she's being questioned by Cabot. Jessica tells the court about Paula taking Samantha. She said that she put her in an empty room with no chair, no bed, no toilet, just a fucking bucket. And after that, mm. she never saw Samantha again and didn't even know she was dead until the detectives came. Lawyer Quentin, the hottie Joan, questions Jessica now. She asks her if there was a lock on the door. And Jessica's like, I don't know. And she's like, hmm. So it's reasonable to think that maybe there was no lock. And Samantha could have left at any time. Cabot's like, objection. Like, they object over and over to yeah. each other. She then asks Jessica if she believed that Lang could clone a baby. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, did you believe that the human race was going to die out if you guys weren't doing this shit? And she's like, mm-hmm. And do you believe that Samantha should have been punished for 
what she had done with your beliefs, believing this? She's like, yeah, but not like that. And she's crying and stuff. Then this lawyer says, oh, okay. So you're just as responsible for Samantha's death as anyone. And Cabot's like, objection, fucked up. And Quentin's like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, she's like, withdrawn. <laughs> Jessica admits that she had never seen Lang with any of the girls, including Samantha, but that's because when they saw Lang, they went by themselves. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I, I trusted him and I loved him. And I mean, this guy was kind of like the leader, the way they looked at him. Mm -hmm. So then Lang takes the stand and he's all pumped and bragging that he cloned a cat. And he believes he's close to cloning a human being. Cabot tells him that Dolly, the cloned sheep, only lived six years and cloned babies may be chronically sick or deformed. 1996 is when Dolly happened. Yeah. He's like, all medical visionaries have been vilified. Ugh. And I'm like, you're the worst. Cabot asked him why he promised clone babies to couples when he couldn't actually clone humans. And he's yeah, like, she... well, I was actually offering them hope. I told them these were their cloned babies, but I, I was yeah. giving them hope. So he basically said that he was going to give them other babies until he figured out how to clone their dead babies. Yeah. He and she was like, what were you going to tell the parents when you had their actual baby? He'd be like, calm down. Here's your clone baby. You have another child to think about. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. He still claims that the girls consented. How is it fucking consent when the parameters of what they consented to are lies? That's my question. Cabot goes, consent? Cool. Did Samantha consent to being locked in a room with no food or water? And then this is when the other lawyer gets to object. And Cabot's like, mmm, withdrawn. Yeah. I literally wrote, mmm, withdrawn. <laughs> I got four M's. How many do you have? I had five. Mm, with John. See how that feels, bitch. Mm. <laughs> what? Just the. I'm like, I wrote the same. I, we were one M away from us leaving our fucking human <laughs> body shells, shooting into spaces, souls, meeting, <laughs> and becoming one and for then eternity. Smashing into each other like Captain Planet, and then another form would take place. Yeah. And it would be evil and inspiring. <laughs> Instead of a king, you shall have a queen. Uh, okay. What is it, what is it? More powerful than the ocean. I'm sorry. It's from Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. I was like, is that Little Mermaid? No. <laughs> Um, oh, well, that makes sense. So what Cabot's getting at is this is all about fucking money for this doctor. She goes after him again about Samantha fucking with his future plans and how he had a hand in making sure that she didn't fuck that up. She gets objectioned again and withdraws it. Stabler is silverback gorilla grinding to my pony in the gallery. He's so excited. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he understands what these withdrawals are about. What? I have to read the, the whole quote, though. I know. Okay. I just have to do it. Okay? You just have to. Okay. Instead of a dark lord, you will have a queen, not dark, but beautiful and terrible as the dawn, tempestuous as the sea, and stronger than the foundations of the earth. All shall love me in despair. That's what I imagine us when we form another. <laughs> okay. Um, I can't believe you typed that fucking mm, the <laughs> magic mic. <laughs> oh, the magic mic. Withdrawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the... Um. <laughs> Yeah. If we both wrote that, I would just fucking burn my house down and just meet in the middle between our two homes. <laughs> Figure it out when we got there. Okay. So we just go to the pine cone or something or... <laughs> Now it is Lawyer Jones' turn to question Lang. He says he hadn't been at the foundation when the girls were there. Paula took care of the girls. Paula, Paula, Paula. 
pointing that finger. Mm -hmm. He last saw Samantha a week before her death when he confirmed her pregnancy, but says that Paula made her own rules for the foundation. So he doesn't know what took place there or what happened Mm -hmm. after he left. And I was like, ooh, Paula's going to take responsibility for the cause because she's brainwashed too. Mm-hmm. Still trying to make predictions. Still very wrong. That's not. That wasn't wrong. I mean, it was close, but she didn't take responsibility. Oh yeah. Cabot visits Paula in jail. Cabot has another lawyer there, Langan. This old lady somehow got a hold of a turtleneck inside. I know. <laughs> She's like, I won't do this unless I have six turtlenecks to choose from. <laughs> anyway, she has Langan present for Paula while they wait on lawyer Joan because she's late or something. But Paula doesn't even want him there. <laughs> Cabot is like, why are you fucking doing this? Lawyer Joan, quote, end quote. <laughs> lawyer Joan is just going to tell you to keep your mouth shut. They're sacrificing you, my dude. I didn't write that. I didn't. I just said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Paula. <laughs> the genuine apology is, is the best. Yeah. Paula says she would stay in prison forever if it meant that Lang would be free to continue what he's doing because he gave her something she lost in 1975. And they're like, yeah, your daughter. And she's like, how do you know about her? And I'm like, they're fucking lawyers and cops, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> lawyers and cops. Lawyers and cops. We should write our own show. And it's called Lawyers and Cops. It should be called Lawyers, Doctors, and Cops because those are the only shows that... <laughs> lawyers, Doctors, Cops. Lawyers, Doctors... Wait, no, it's got to be to the song... To the... <laughs> to the... To what's that? Um, what was it again? Oh my god! You are the sunshine of my life. Was it that? Lawyers, doctors, cops. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> that's not what it was. God, I don't remember. I don't know. Okay. So, anyways, it's really important Paul's... that we remember, though. We'll get back to you. Yeah. Lawyers, doctors, cops, or lawyers, doctors, lawyers, cops. doctors, cops. <laughs> so. Paula's daughter went missing in 1975 and she was never found. So she wanted to help teens have a place to call home and Lang gave her that. Mm-hmm. Paula is convinced that the girl's parents should have treated them better and she gets really kind of rowdy about it. She yeah. clearly feels guilty for how she treated her daughter before she ran away. Mm-hmm. Paula says that her daughter was very little when her husband left and she's like, I didn't handle it very well and she's welling up and her and her daughter were constantly fighting. One day her daughter was gone and there was a note saying that she had to leave because she needed to find a mother now paula's now just like straight up crying into her turn like yeah <laughs> that's terrible i shouldn't even say that's awful she's acting they, so it's fine so then somebody goes you've got a visitor and i was like holy shit oh god you thought it was gonna be your daughter yeah she's like mom it was like it was like a fucking daytime talk show and they're like no 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 it's just that ugly bitch jessica it's <laughs> like mom i was in the backyard the whole time you moved <laughs> So fucking Jessica walks in and that makes them both happy and they're hugging and they're like, I love you. And she's like, I'm sorry. And Cabot's looking at them like, Jesus, this is fucking nuts. Yeah. Stabler Stabler tells Paul that all Lang has done is manipulate her pain. Lang experiments on the girls that trusted her and she's the only one that can stop Lang. Mm -hmm. At the end of this scene, Paula holds Jessica's face like a Price is Right model as they both look at Stabes. I know. Now we're in the court. Paula takes the stand and says that Kinderski, the recruiter lady that was at all the cities before when all the girls disappeared. Mm -hmm. The one that was like, you're rude, detective. Get out. Mm -hmm. So she would identify the girls at the learning centers and begin indoctrinating them. The girls were told to leave and come to New York on their own. Dr. Lang said it was to avoid kidnapping charges. Kinderski supplied the girls with money and fake IDs for the trip to New York. When the girls arrived in New York, Paula acted as their mother, their teacher, their nurse, and she gave them their hormone injections to prepare them for the procedures Lang was 
was performing. Paula said that when Samantha wanted to leave, she did what was in the doctrine, quote, reason with her, aka put her in a room. She was ordered by Lang not to give her food or water so that she could be, quote, reprogrammed. Lang came over and did the reprogramming at night after the girls had gone to sleep. What does that mean? It's a it's a process. There's there's a similar thing that I'm gonna tell you about. Okay. On the sixth night of Samantha's quote, reprogramming, Paula went to check on her and Samantha could barely move. Paula went to give her water and Dr. Lane came in and took the water from her and she starts crying a little bit. Samantha died in Paula's arms. She was dirty, so Paula tried to wipe her face and like did her hair and put a blanket around her. Paula and Lang took her to Paula's car. Lang told Paula to leave her and make her look homeless. Oh my God, that's so fucked up. Uh. So Lang stands up and interrupts and he's like, Paula, why are you betraying me? <laughs> the judge tells him he's out of order and he's like, this whole trial is out of order. <laughs> and then he says, and then randomly he says, the cat's out of the bag, folks. But doesn't say what the, what the bag is full of or whatever, you know? <laughs> the cat's out of the and bag, folks. Was that a yeah. reference back to how he cloned a cat? I don't know. Lang is arguing with the judge and then he's like removed from the court yelling shit about cloning and the end of the world and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Toyota. Toyota. <laughs> All right, I've got this chaser. This There were a few things that could contribute to this storyline. The one thing that majorly contributed was something that nobody would have talked about in the 90s, okay? Okay. We're going to get into Scientology a little bit. Ew. Yeah. <sighs> Lisa McPherson was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. When she was young, her older brother died by suicide, and not too many years later, her dad would follow. When Lisa was 18 years old, at the guidance of her employer, she joined the Church of Scientology. Her boss at her job was a Scientologist. If you're unfamiliar with Scientology, I could fucking bunny trail us to China talking about that shit. Basically, it's a religion made up by L. Ron Hubbard, He was a science fiction writer. This religion was made up in 1953 and they used to have way more secrets than they do now. It was very, what's it about? Like, that's what drew me to it so much when there started to be documentaries and people defecting and like publicly speaking about it and shit. Some of the most prominent Scientologists have left the church and speak out against it. I got into it especially hard after Leah Remini left and she got really loud about it. Mm -hmm. I love her. She had that A&E show and after L. Ron Hubbard died in 1986, David Miscavige took over in leadership. And that guy's a fucking psycho. If you want to get lost in some shit, look up the disappearance of his wife. Still missing, totally off the grid, zero idea of where she is. Nobody knows where she is. She's dead. Wasn't she? Yeah. Wasn't, what's her face? Leah? Leah Remini. She was into, she was into Scientology before she even started acting, right? Even when she was a kid. Yeah. She was raised, she was raised in Scientology. Yeah. She wrote a book about it, which was really good. I read, Uh, but she was raised in it. And then um, one of the things that got her in trouble, she started to be like getting in trouble for shit. They were at Tom Cruise's wedding or some shit. And she's like, hey, where the fuck is Shelly? Miss Cabbage, where's Dave's wife? And everybody's like, shh. She's not here. And it's like, this is like the biggest wedding of Scientology. So that's fucking weird. She's not here. And I'm going to keep asking questions about it. And everybody's like, "Mm -mm." she's just, she went somewhere else. She's working somewhere. She's doing something. And she's been missing for years and years now. What? Yep. There's no proof that she's alive. Why would they kill her? Oh God, a myriad of reasons, I'm sure. If she was going to, like, if she was thinking about leaving Scientology and David Miscavige is an abusive fucking dude. He punished a lot of his... uh, 
uh, people that worked directly for him with physical beatings and shit. So for it to not be his wife, you know, and it makes the church look bad. If she were to leave, like, who knows? Who knows what, right. what they, why she's missing? So Lisa McPherson got so into Scientology that she spent enormous amounts of money on taking courses, being audited, and just working her way toward, quote, going up the bridge, which is basically working to obtain spiritual perfection. When a Scientologist has reached that point, it's called going clear. Auditing also is a huge part of this process. It's wild, okay? So the person being audited sits across from the auditor, somebody who's been trained to use this machine. It's called an electropsychometer. They call it an e-meter. What this machine supposedly does is when the person being audited is holding onto the little handles, it reads their emotional state and this needle moves around. <laughs> then they sit and talk about shit, like an unlicensed therapy session, basically, until the emotional response to these things they're talking about doesn't register on the e-meter. Lisa, who had an unfortunate amount of experience struggling with her mental health, had spent tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars just on audits alone. They can cost like a thousand dollars an hour for these audits. The church makes so much money on them because it's it's a required... I gotta start a cult, man. Yeah. It's a required part of moving up the bridge. And that not even the like to mention the cost of these courses. Also, Scientologists do not believe in psychiatric care. In fact, they mm -hmm. consider it a form of abuse. They do not take medication for mental health issues, like psychiatry, That's all of that right. is bad. Remember that interview that Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise did with Matt Lauer and he called him glib? <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about what's this, he was like giving, what's her face shit for having, I think it was for it taking Bro medicine Brooke Shields. For, yeah, it's like Yeah, it was a heated conversation. I'm sorry, can you even have postpartum? Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a mental health conversation, talking about psychiatric yeah. care. Why Tom Cruise was weighing in on it, I have no fucking idea, but yeah, it's a very strong belief in Scientology. In 1994, Lisa moved from her hometown to live in Clearwater, Florida, which is basically Mecca for Scientologists. Mm, yeah, my parents lived right by there. Yeah, everything she did was surrounded by the Scientology community. Her work, uh, she moved there with her work. So she wanted to be closer and be able to immerse herself in it more. In June yeah. of 1995, Lisa was struggling to work through what she thought was her emotional trauma. She was struggling with suicidal ideations and told her friend Susan Schoenberger, quote, I think I'm going crazy. Oh. She dove hard that summer into help from the church. On September 7th, 1995, Lisa was declared clear and a ceremony by David Miscavige himself, meaning that through Scientology and all of her hard work, she had rid herself of all fears, anxieties, and irrational thought. Those okay. mental blocks were declared completely gone. When this happened, there was like a ceremony and everything. And when this happened, she said, this is more exciting than anything I've ever experienced. That was in September of 1995. By October, okay. Lisa was struggling again. She called an old friend in Dallas, Kelly Davis, and suggested to Kelly that she was wanting to leave Scientology and would be moving back to Dallas. On November 15th, Lisa was at a trade show for work, but was behaving so strangely that a co-worker took her back to Clearwater. Three days later, on November 18th, 1995, Lisa rear-ended a boat on a trailer while driving her Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was very minor, little fender bender. The grill on Lisa's Jeep was slightly damaged. That's it. 
a frenzied Lisa went up to the other driver, put her hands on his shoulders, and asked, where's the people? Where's the people? Police came to the accident and determined that it wasn't serious. As they were wrapping things up on the scene, Lisa stripped down completely naked and started walking down the street. When a paramedic asked her, what are you doing? Like, what's, what's going on? And she said, I wanted people to think I was crazy because I need help. I just need someone to talk to. Yep. Lisa was transported to Morton Plant Hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. While at the hospital, doctors were discussing whether to have her Baker acted, which California's 5150. In, in Florida, Baker Act is a 72-hour hold, yeah. you know, to evaluate her mental state. Her behavior was robotic and distant. Mm-hmm. And so she was finally going to be able to maybe get some help outside of Scientology. Yeah. So this little accident happens, right? Lisa's boss had caught wind of the accident and found out that Lisa was at Morton Plant Hospital. She alerts the church and 10 members of the church made their way to the hospital to surround Lisa. Joe Price, a clinical nurse specialist with a psychiatric background, was on duty and after a while was able to talk to Lisa privately where she told him she no longer needed help and would be signing herself out. Uh, Nurse Price in an interview recalled thinking, quote, my God, this lady's a prisoner. So like these people show up, they come in, they talk to her for a while, and pretty soon she's like, oh, never mind. I'm just going to go with them. Yeah. I don't need help anymore. Thank you. So they took Lisa to the Fort Harrison Hotel. This is a building owned by the Church of Scientology. She was taken to room 174 and declared a type 3, which in Scientology means in a psychotic state. Okay. It was later said she was taken there for rest and relaxation, but instead, once there, she received Scientology's version of psychiatric care, which is something they call an introspection rundown. This is very similar to what they were talking about in the episode, the reprogramming, okay? Okay. An introspection rundown is basically isolation and being closely monitored by an assigned case supervisor. They keep Mm -hmm. stimulation extremely low, do not speak to the person receiving the care, and medicate them with vitamins. Only the case supervisor is allowed to communicate to the person receiving the introspection rundown, and that is to be only in writing. The goal is to get the person to become calm enough to participate in an audit. The person has to prove to the case supervisor that they are back to having their mental clarity. So she was not only watched 24 hours a day, but the door was also guarded. Okay. The supervising doctor for Lisa McPherson, Janice Johnson, did not have a license to practice medicine in Florida. Not only that her license had been suspended in Arizona, the state that she had been in prior. They kept daily detailed activity logs and guarded her room for 17 days. During this time, Lisa was experiencing hallucinations, paranoia. She had violent outbursts. She tried to leave, asking for help. After a few days, she started spitting out food and completely refused to eat. She talked about the people around her controlling her body, how she invented Scientology. She was having a full psychotic episode. They gave her chloral hydrate, which is a mild sedative. An unlicensed staff dentist mixed aspirin, Benadryl, and orange juice in a syringe and squirted it down her throat to get her to sleep. She got weaker and weaker as this went on. Like, this is how they were trying to manage her. At this point, Lisa had lost a significant amount of weight. She was critically dehydrated, could not walk on her own, breathed very shallow, had fixed eyes, and wasn't blinking. On December 5th, 1995, two members of the church were bathing Lisa when her sphincter relaxed, releasing her bowels. This is a big sign in this kind of situation. They're like, she needs immediate medical care. Mm -hmm. And they told this to Janice Johnson, the 
doctor that was monitoring, right? Uh-huh. Johnson came by two hours later to check on Lisa, and she determined that Lisa was severely dehydrated and possibly septic, which is the body's extreme response to infection. Right. Instead of taking her to the hospital that they signed her out of 17 days prior, which was five minutes away, they took her to a hospital in Newport Ritchie about 45 minutes away. There were actually three other emergency rooms in between those hospitals, but at Newport Ritchie Hospital, Dr. David Minkoff, a Scientologist, was waiting. Okay. He had been prescribing her meds without having seen her, P.S. Oh my God. What the fuck? And so they had decided, like, this is the only option. She has to go to Dr. Minkoff. Like the vitamins, you mean? Um, I think the hydrochloride, I think that mild sedative um, was a prescription. By the time they got to the hospital, Lisa was not breathing, had no pulse, and no heartbeat. Lisa was declared dead at 36. A police investigation into Lisa's death began the very next day. When cops went to room 174 at the Fort Harrison Hotel, they found it completely refurbished. It had a new king bed, which replaced the two queens that had been there prior and completely cleaned out. The Scientology shore story for Lisa's death, which shore story is just like cover story, was that everyone was aware of. Every single Scientologist was telling the same story. And Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for a police investigation, this would have just been what they went with. Yeah. They told police that her stay was normal and just based in rest and relaxation. Remember, she had been stressed out Uh and was taking a break. It was totally voluntary. She was perfectly healthy during this entire time and then suddenly got sick with meningitis. Like she got sick at noon and then rapidly declined. She specifically requested to go to Dr. Minkoff and then died. Okay. Scientologists stuck to the story even after, in 1996, Emmy Joan Wood's conclusion for the cause of death came out. She said it was a blood clot in her left lung caused by bed rest and severe dehydration. So their claim that she suddenly fell ill and that this was an unfortunate accident didn't line up. Yeah. The Emmy went on to record saying that their version of things was absolutely impossible. Her health gradually deteriorated over a number of days, and she likely wasn't even conscious toward the end. Paramedics Mm. at Lisa's fender bender on November 18th guessed her weight at about 140 pounds, but when her body was weighed on December 5th, it was 108 pounds. Whoa. So behind the Scientology scenes, following Lisa's death, Marty Rathbun, top lieutenant under David Miscavige, was in charge of damage control. He had the room Lisa was in, completely cleaned, replacing the beds, all of that. He sent the notes taken over the time Lisa was held to the LA headquarters to David Miscavige, all except for the last three days of notes. He ordered those to be shredded. So this entire time that she's in room 174, meticulous notes are being kept. Everybody who's interacting with her are keeping notes on her behavior, what they're doing. They didn't have to turn this over until they were subpoenaed, of course, Mm -hmm. but they have all of these notes. But the last three days of notes are gone. But how do we know that Marty ordered them to be shredded, right? Mm -hmm. He defected from the church in 2004 and has since come forward with damning information about the church, including Lisa's last days. Oh, shit. He has said it was, quote, a perfect storm of incompetence and irresponsibility within the church, Mm -hmm. and you couldn't justify that. So that's the only reason we knew that that was intentional. You know, all of that shit was intentional. And he's been called a liar, and, I mean, they do a smear campaign on anybody who speaks out against them, you know? Of course. Um, Leah Remini is the devil to them. But yeah, Marty Rathbun has been... He was like the right-hand man to fucking David Miscavige. So he knows Mm, everything. everything and has spilled all of it. 
Good. He's very into sharing the truth of the matter. Do they have like a deity they believe in? No. I mean, it's L. Ron Hubbard and you're really kind of like your own thing. It's really fucked up. Like how, like the, the way they treat kids is super fucked up, abusive. I mean, they, they behave as if a, like kids are adults. You're all adults. Um, mm-hmm. Your relationship with your own children is no different than your relationship with anybody else. So like when your kids are of the age to like go to like basically work camps, you know, go be in the Sea Org, you don't have a choice. You know, your kids belong to the church. If a family member leaves, you're not allowed to speak to them. Mm. Even if they're not like, because they're they're a suppressive person. Like if somebody leaves the Church of Scientology, they're considered a suppressive person. That's why like all this shit, like when Katie Holmes left fucking Tom Cruise, it was all done under the cover of night. I, I, I saw this other thing where this dude left and he like, I just remember him telling the story about like hopping on this motorcycle, and, like getting out of this gate and whatever, because you're, it is not optional. Like you sign they all, your they life away from- there, right? Huh? They all live in like a place, right? There's places that that Scientologists can live, but there's like barracks and whatever else, and so then they work for Scientology. Like they, their whole life is Scientology. Mm-hmm. It's a cult operating in plain sight, and everybody knows it's a cult. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. But so one of the things that I read was that why would they make this big thing? Because people were like, David Miscavige didn't declare her clear. That's not what happened. That's not whatever. And Marty Rathbun's like, yeah, he literally did. People that are still in Scientology say it wasn't, but it's like, yeah, he did. Well, why would they fight that? Well, it would it would make Scientology look bad if he declared her clear and then then she she had a psychotic break a month later because then he's Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. And Scientology doesn't work and whatever else. And like there's too much writing on that. Yeah. One of the things that Marty said that he did was um, he sent an emissary to Lisa's funeral in Dallas Mm -hmm. to offer Lisa's mom whatever she wanted to make the investigation go away. At the funeral? He was like, if she, yes. If she wanted $5 million, we were ready to give her $5 million. Like, we would have done anything Mm -hmm. to make this go away. And her mom told him to fuck off. Yeah. Three Scientologists who were helping care for Lisa during this time fled the country. More than one of these people, including Janice Johnson, lied to Clearwater Police, telling them that they had not been performing an introspection rundown. That wasn't happening, and so that wouldn't be the thing that caused her death. Mm -hmm. Lisa's family filed a wrongful death suit in 1997. It was settled in 2004 for an undisclosed amount. In November of 1998, the state of Florida charged the Church of Scientology with two felonies, criminal neglect and practicing medicine without a license. Mm -hmm. In 2000, the charges were dropped because the ME changed her cause of death findings from undetermined to accident. Okay. Because of this, the criminal charges were dropped. Prosecution didn't have a case if the Emmy called Lisa's death an accident. Yeah. This is the same person who said that it's impossible that what they said happened happened. But there's speculation that they because they're good at digging up dirt, too, that they that they threatened to ruin her in some way. That's how they operate. They're fucking bullies and blackmailers. Hmm. So there was no criminal case. But I mean, all they got out of it was the fucking civil case. Lisa's mom did. Overall, Scientology invested 30 million dollars in fighting this case. They had all the money in the world to fight having Lisa's blood on their hands, and they've never been held accountable. Scientology now makes prospective members sign what critics call the Lisa Clause, which absolves the cult of responsibility if they decide a parishioner needs an introspection rundown. So, Hmm. but she had the same kind of stuff. She had fucking bug bites and stuff all over her. She had Mm -hmm. just bruises all over her body from being held in this silent room. 
Well, next week. <laughs> but I encourage anyone to just like read Leah Remini's book, fucking watch Going Clear. I think it was on HBO. Leah Remini did this A&E show after she left. I was so like when she left and she's like, hey, fuck Scientology. I was like, oh, I cannot fucking wait for this. Yeah. It's so good. Okay. Next week, we got season four, episode 25, Soulless. The gang thinks a bunch of socialites raped and killed a woman at a nightclub. Great. This is going to be a whole thing where they have to tread lightly because they all have money. Ugh, yeah, probably. Oh, the brass. Pretzels. Yeah, it's going to be annoying. (laughs) It's also the last episode of season four. (laughs) Can you believe it, guys? It's going to be great. It's going to be fucking great. Rate and review us. Give us five stars. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. We are currently and kind of always taking fucking ghost stories. We've got this show coming up. Yeah. Give us a good one because we will uh, do it live. If I feel like it's going to make Gabe shitter pants. Mm-hmm. Send us stuff if you want. P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Check out our Instagram at SVU Pod and join the Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. Also, hashtag little bit loud for indie pods. And join the Patreon. Yeah. Okay, love you, bye. Love you, bye. <laughs> The guy had to fucking cut his arm off to survive. I would have just died. I've been like, <laughs> finally. <laughs> this lady is. This lady is. Shut up. This lady is. I gotta. Hold on. Let me do this. The shut lady up. Is shut awful. up. <laughs> shut up. Just shut up. Shut up. Ooh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let me do this. I, I gotta not go into it half laughing. Okay. You'll yell at me. Yeah. Because <clears throat> you're a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Just ask my neighbor. Join the yeah. Patreon. I love how everybody was like, fuck that old bitch. I know, me too. I really needed the support. <laughs> it's a coincidence. There's so many. It's a coincidence. <laughs> Fish bl- <laughs> under the water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right across from my old job i want to go to that one because yeah. we've been to the other ones already right yeah let's go see what it's really about okay that was embarrassing that i said that so yeah <laughs> i was like did you, see, did you hear me i was like okay <laughs> let's go see what it's all about let's go see what it's all about uh uh uh, uh. <laughs> okay barefoot oh. naked motherfuckers <laughs> Can you just eat fucking rules? <laughs> okay, I can't do this. No, let him. You ever have to get all your. <laughs> what? You ever have to get all your parts lubed up because you got your electronic dick sucked at a Kenny Chesney concert on the beach? <laughs> that sand is never coming out. <laughs> Oh my god. It's never coming out. To our Elite Squad patrons Haley K, Sonia W, Sky K, Marissa M, Elkie H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin. Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyana, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire. 
Ew. I know I said that one real sexual. Sorry. Sapphire. <laughs> Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Daniel W, Kelsey D, Jenna M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Emily A, Angela D, Mac, Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Cassandra S, Kaylin B, Camilla Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, and K, Alan, K, Helen. Yum. <laughs> Yum. 